Hi, Gary Zacharias here again with the Apologist Bookshelf. I want to look at a really solid, powerful book called Answering Islam, and it's by Norm Geisler and Abdul Salib. Uh, Geisler, of course, is well known in Christian apologetic circles for all of his books and just amazing things that he's uh, written over a long period of time. Abdul Salib, I did not recognize him, but he's a former Muslim and he spent a lot of time going back and forth between Islam and Christianity as far as looking for differences. And you can tell he did an excellent job in helping Geisler out here. So this is Answering Islam. It's about a 20-year-old book, but that doesn't matter. It's not up-to-date, not brand new, but it doesn't deal with things that are, uh, you know, like the last five years. It's talking about very basic things to do with Islam and then why we reject it as Christians. So part one of the book is basic doctrines. What do the Muslims believe about God and man and creation and Muhammad and things like that? Part two is a Christian response to basic Muslim beliefs, and that's what I wanted to look at today, especially at evaluation of the Quran. Part three is a positive defense of the Christian perspective. So defending the Bible, the deity of Jesus, uh, the Trinity, salvation because of the cross of Jesus. So it covers such an extensive range of things, just amazing. So I wanted to go to chapter nine, which is an evaluation of the Quran. Of course, that's the heart of Islam. If the Quran can be substantiated, then Islam is true, and all other religions, you can throw them in the trash can. So they believe that the Quran is the word of God, and it's inspired. And so they come down very strongly on it. Uh, the Quran is a divine miracle. That's their key belief. That's their cornerstone belief. So what I wanted to do was to look at what Geisler and uh, Salib talk about as far as what are the arguments that they make for this divine origin for the Quran. There are several of them. So I'm going to cover it just the way the book does here. I'm going to go through the arguments that Muslim scholars give. Then we'll go back, look at those same arguments, and show why they're pretty weak from a Christian perspective. So here's one argument. Why is the uh, Quran considered to be divine? Muslims say it's got a unique literary style. That's their most important reason. That's They call that the most impressive evidence. And it's supposed to be wonderfully arranged, marvelously composed, and so exalted, this is a quote from a scholar, so exalted in its literary elegance as to be beyond what any mere creature could attain. And one other translator of the Quran said, no human composition could contain the beauty, power, and spiritual insight of the Quran. Okay, so there's the first thing, the great style of it that just sweeps people off their feet. Here's another argument for the divine origin. Muhammad was illiterate. So they said it's a marvel that uh, it was written, this wonderful book written by somebody who was illiterate. That's got to be supernatural revelation. Here comes a third one. Why is the Quran considered to be divine? Perfect preservation. So it says uh, this, we've had the same Quran uh, for all these years. And it says a manuscript with the slightest variation in the text is unknown. And they compare it to other holy books. They said it's the only divinely revealed scripture in the history of mankind which has been preserved in its exact original form. So that sounds pretty powerful. But there are other arguments for the divine origin of the Quran. One is the prophecies. They point out the Quran contains accurate predictions that could have only come about because of God. Okay, another argument they raise is the unity of the Quran. It's self-consistent. 
Another argument is scientific accuracy of the Quran. In fact, there was a book, I guess, out not too long ago called The Bible, The Quran, and Science by a French author, and he's trying to say the Bible has all sorts of errors, but the Quran is free from that. All right, here's another uh, argument why we should trust the Quran to be divine. It has an amazing mathematical structure. So they claim that it has... Um, it's a mathematical miracle based on the number 19. Well, why 19? But if you add up the numerical value of the letters in the word one, then the message of the Quran is that God is one. Now, what do they mean? Well, the opening statement in the Quran has 19 Arabic alphabets. The famous words that constitute the first Quranic revelation, 19 words. The last revelation, 19 words. The Quran has 114 chapters. That's 19 times 6. And then finally they say you can trust the Quran to be divine because of changed lives and changed cultures that were a direct result of the Quranic influence. So there they are. There are the arguments in favor of why we should trust the Quran to be a uh, divine document. But I like uh, the fact then that Geisler and Salib very carefully go through those arguments and show the problem. So let's start with this. Unique literary style. Is the Quran a miracle? Okay, well, let's take a look. Because of the style, it says it's not agreed by all people that it is uh, that has this wonderful style. <laughs> One uh, writer named Carlyle said this of the Quran, it's as toilsome reading as I ever undertook, a wearisome, confused, jumble, crude, <laughs> Nothing but a sense of duty could carry any European through the Quran. Now, of course, that's just one person's opinion. But it says, if you think about it, the, it says eloquence is actually kind of a questionable test for divine inspiration. All it could really prove is that Muhammad was gifted. But it says, what about Mozart? Mozart did some amazing things even earlier, much earlier than Muhammad did. But what Muslim is going to say that Mozart's works are miraculous? In fact, if eloquence, if, if we're going to test something by eloquence, then it says you can make a case for the divine authority of a lot of classics. Homer, producing the Iliad and the Odyssey. What about Shakespeare? Is he eloquent? Sure. It says, but Muslims wouldn't accept uh, Romeo and Juliet or anything like that to be divine inspiration. And in fact, apparently, a lot of scholars don't even think the Quran is the best work among uh, Arabic writings. So... It says even some early Muslim scholars admitted the Quran was not perfect in its literary form. Even if the Quran, they say, were the most eloquent book in Arabic, that wouldn't really prove divine authority. You could argue about that in uh, books in Hebrew or Greek. So that's not a very strong argument. What about this? Muhammad was illiterate. So therefore, producing this, this book shows what an amazing divine uh, deal this is. But He's, they said some people actually question whether Muhammad was illiterate. And there's some evidence actually to suggest that he may not have been illiterate at all. And even if he lacked formal training in his earlier years, I mean, he was intelligent. He could have caught up later on his own. And he certainly wouldn't be the only self-taught literary figure in the history of humanity. And of course, even if he wasn't formally trained, he had skills. And what about scribes? So that was not uncommon at the time. He could have had somebody writing these things down. Some critics say that, of course, this is probably more from the Christian perspective, but Muhammad himself thought that he was receiving information from a super intelligent evil spirit. And so 
if that's the case, then the Quran doesn't reflect Muhammad's intelligence, but the Spirit's intelligence. How about perfect preservation? Does that prove divine inspiration for the Quran? Well, actually, no. And this is something that is so important. This is something I hope you really take away from this. There is huge overstatement as to the preservation of the Quran. Apparently, right now, what we have is actually a very good copy of the 7th century recension. In other words, they, they went through and they got rid of other copies. It's not true that this is the way it came from Muhammad. So what happened was, during the reign of Uthman, he was the third caliph, they were getting reports that several different Muslim communities were using different versions of the Quran. And so a person was called in to oversee the official revised version. So that's the one that's uniform, not the original copy that came from Muhammad. So who knows whether they took the right one and copied that one. There's a European archaeologist who wrote a book called Materials for the History of the Text of the Quran. And he talks about what the Quran was like before it got standardized under Uthman. It says, contrary to Muslim claims, there were several different texts prior to Uthman's revision. So he just destroyed others, other uh, versions and canonized one. So it says apparently the one that Uthman has is just one among several types of texts to exist. So, so much for this preservation. And he said, in fact, today, not all Muslims even accept this version of the Quran. The Sunnites, uh, I guess the Sunni Muslims, accept a different one. So we've got all sorts of variant readings going on here. Um, let me let me skip over. I'm gonna so I hope that makes sense here. Let, let's go to oh, what about prophecies in the Quran? Does that prove uh, supernatural uh, stuff? So first of all, they're not supernatural at all. I mean, they're things like. God is on our side, we're going to win. Well, that's not particularly specific, is it? The only really substantive prediction, I guess, in there is about the Roman victory over the Persian army that took place at Isis, or Isis, and that's in Surah 30. And it reads, The Roman Empire has been defeated in a land close by, but they, after this defeat of theirs, will soon be victorious within a few years. But it wasn't very spectacular. It says, the prophecies is not a big deal. It's not long range. It's not unusual. It said you'd expect defeated Romans to bounce back. Uh, it says all you have to do is kind of look around and see what's going on. So that's not much if you want to depend on the prophecies to prove the Quran is from God. What about the unity? There's another argument. It's self-consistent and it's non-contradictory. But people say, really? They say, we've got this abrogation business that goes on. And that's, that's what happens where you take previous verses and they're corrected by later verses. So how much unity is that? Um, for example, there are sword verses, but they annul 124 verses that came earlier that talked about tolerance. The Quran says in Surah 2, let there be no compulsion in religions, and yet other places it tells Muslims to fight those who believe not and fight and slay the pagans wherever you find them. And uh, then it says that the Quran claims that there could be no change in the words of God. Well, but we got abrogation. So somebody said, uh, we should like to find out how a divine revelation can be improved. We would expect it to have been perfect and true from the start. And it's not. It's been changed. Um, corrected verses are often near ones being corrected. There are verses 
that they forgot their abrogations, they forgot to redact them. I mean, there's all sorts of things in there. And then they end that portion of the book by saying, you know, even if the Quran were consistent and it's not, that's just a negative test for truth, not a positive one. Okay, so uh, somebody once said, well, you know, Euclid's geometry is self-consistent, but you wouldn't call that divine. What about scientific accuracy? He says that's gotten uh, popular in recent times that uh, the Quran is scientifically accurate. But uh, come on, as they say here, it was Christianity, not Islam, that was the cradle for modern science. So if we want to talk about who was more kind and, and creating modern science, it's Christianity, not Islam. But what about things like the book's inspired because it's up with modern science? Really? It says, it just proves the Quran had no scientific error if that was the case, but just because it doesn't have any error doesn't mean it's inspired of God. And then how accurate is the Quran, really, scientifically? So here's one place where it, it says, human beings are formed from a clot of blood. Here's the quote. Then we made the sperm into a clot of congealed blood. Then of that clot we made a lump, that's a fetus. Then we made out of that lump bones and clothed the bones with flesh. So that's not really a good scientific description of embryonic development. Then it speaks of, in another part of the Quran, I think it's Surah 18, speaks of somebody traveling west. So when he reached the setting place of the sun, he found it setting in a muddy spring. Hmm, really? So if you go west far enough, you can find the sun plopping down into a spring. No, that doesn't work. And uh, so that's not a good one. What about mathematical structure? Right? It had that number 19. But it said it doesn't prove anything more than there was a mathematical order behind the language of the Quran. And language is an expression of the order of human thought. And so that may be the mathematical background. Plus it said, okay, let's use that same argument, except instead of 19, let's use the number 7. You could prove the inspiration of the Bible. It says, take the first verse of the Bible. It has seven Hebrew words and 28 letters. Hmm, that's seven times four. There are three nouns, God, heavens, earth. Their total numeric value is 777. The verb created has the value 203. That's seven times 29. The object is contained in the first three words with 14 letters. Other four words contain the subject also with 14 letters, but no Muslim is going to buy that and say, oh, just because you got a bunch of number sevens, that doesn't prove anything. Yet they want to say their number 19 proves that uh, their book is from God. Well, how about changed lives? Well, if you're going to press the argument from changed lives, as they point out here, Christianity has an equally strong um, evidence behind it. So there's the chapter. Uh, their summary, I think, says it all. You know, the Quran claims to be the Word of God, but it doesn't prove it to be. It doesn't have supporting credentials. These arguments are not convincing. Each one has fallacies. And it says uh, it's not supernaturally confirmation by God. So I hope that gives you an idea of just how much depth they go into. And I skipped over some of this, but uh, and I had to go over it pretty quickly because uh, I don't want to let this thing run on too long. But it gives you an idea of how powerful this book is. You know, on the back, uh, this is Josh McDowell, and he knows apologetics. He said, this book is a must for everyone concerned about defending the Christian faith. Dr. Geisler and his co-author, a former Muslim, have given one of the most comprehensive expositions and most complete evaluations of Islam in print. So 
I'll tell you, it's good, obviously, to talk about Islam, but if you just want to feel more solid about your own Christian faith, this is another book to get here, Answering Islam. All right, well, thanks, and uh, we'll do another podcast soon.